following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back to another outstanding episode of the Two Point Conversation. I am the fill-in host for your Tuesday episode, typically your film room episode, but not happening today. Instead, uh, we are recording on a Monday as usual, and it happens to be President's Day. So I said, while Matt is away and I'm co-hosting, I said, why don't we bring on Andrew into his unusual Monday recording Tuesday spot? And uh, see if he wants to do some sort of Mount Rushmore in honor of our presidents. And, of course, Andrew, you said. About a decade. <laughs> <laughs> and because first, you, I'm not going to lie. When you said current players, I was like, oh, I actually got to, like, think about these guys. <laughs> and then you were like, let's do all time. And I was like, what about a decade? And then you said 90s. And I was like, damn it. You are the man. <laughs> well, uh, without knowing us previously, uh, I'll divulge some information. Andrew and I are very close in age compared to the rest of the two-point clan, which seems to all be uh, spring chickens. We are the elder members of the uh, two-point conversation. And you know what? There's no better combination of people to talk about the the current NFL compared to the old school days uh, quite like you and I, I feel my friend. Yes. yes. And no, we're also probably one of the few that actually watched football in the nineties and started watching it like pre pre two thousands. Yeah. Cause even, even Jaws is Jaws is younger than us, not by much, but still younger and younger enough where, I feel anything nineties. He's still kind of not too sure about. Yeah. If you're if memory you're, wise, of course. Yeah. If, if you're talking about the two point crew, you know, most of us hail from the Buffalo region. So a lot of us inherently, whether we were back in the day or currently still are, uh, are bills fans. And because of that, the nineties stands out in a way, uh, unlike many other decades in that franchise's history as a, Really good time to be alive. Really good time to be a Bills fan. I happen to be five years old, you know, in the lead up to the 90s there. And I got to see all its glory and then its ultimate demise with the uh, Music City Miracle at the end of the decade. So I went from five years old, 89, started the Super Bowl runs, you know, even the times after gym weren't all that bad. And then after the Music City Miracle, the wheels fell off. So. <laughs> Gonna the first six Super Bowls I remember watching either had the 49ers or the Bills in them. Yeah. I knew sense. nothing other than the 49ers or the Bills in the Super Bowl. And then I saw the Giants make it and I was like, I don't I don't think you can do that, but <laughs> they were a sneaky team. They they were always hanging around, you know, nipping at the heels of whoever was representing the NFC in the NFC championship uh, or the Super Bowl, that is. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about when thinking of this format of Mount Rushmore's, it's obviously quite cliche. People do this stuff all the time. So the way that I was going to try and differentiate ours is, can you, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but can you yeah. rank them? Because I kind of laid them out in a way that I thought that I was ranking them from first to fourth. Yeah, I could, I could do that. Okay. I, you, I like that. You kind of like threw that on me. So, but yeah, I think yeah. I definitely can. It was, it was something else I was thinking about right before heading downstairs. And I was just like, how can we put just a tiny little twist on it? So I think that's a good uh, way to do that. 
Um, I guess we should probably handle any sort of news. And um, I know I'll be talking about this on my other podcast, Processing Process with Ryan Holt Bailey, where we cover the NFL draft. But uh, big, big problems with the combine coming up. Uh, the recent thing is that the uh, agents um, representing uh, over 150 combine attendees are boycotting in a way. They don't want to participate because they're being forced to live in a bubble and they didn't sign up for that. And I don't blame that. I'm not trying to get political or anything like that. I'm just saying I don't blame them for feeling like that. These guys have been through a lot. The guys that are being drafted this year are the the first COVID world guys to be drafted in the NFL. Other guys remember pre-COVID, but these guys, I mean, they've been around for these three years. So I think uh, it'll get squared away. I think they'll drop the bubble, in my personal opinion. But I didn't know if that was something you were following along with, Andrew. I was. I'm, I still at the NFL Network because I kind of was a little bit of a combine nerd there for a little bit. Sure, it's easy to do, right? Yeah. I, it, but, and then I started, started thinking a lot of the times it's fun to see these athletes be so freakish in nature. But in a way, it's also one of those things that isn't something you put a bunch of stock into. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the crazy things. You know me. I am not a stats guy. Right. I will go to stats every once in a while, but I am a what type of impact you can make on the field n- n- through anything else. That's cool. You can run a 4-4, but can you play? Right. You know, I just, I just got done watching the replacements. You know, Franklin, uh, what's it? Clifford Franklin. He could run all day, but he couldn't catch. There's certain things like that. I I just feel the combine is is missing. And in some ways is almost, I know it might sound crazy, kind of turned into a novelty act of way of how we'll show off these, we'll show off these athletic abilities. This guy can boost his stock but then it's always not going to translate yeah. to what things are. I mean, you get a lot of bust that way as well. Yeah. The biggest thing <laughs> we're not going to sing on the combine line because we have some stuff to get into, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's not about what they do that day or that weekend. It's really more about, can you show me your commitment as far as you're on time for your meetings when you're supposed to be in your meetings? Can you, can you uh, conduct yourself in all you know, your press conferences, your one-on-one meetings with teams, you know, all these things are important. This is how NFL teams are going to gauge you. Um, you know, can, you know, when, when on in drills, are you dialed in? Are you paying attention? Are you constantly messing up? You know, some guys just, it clearly shows like, all right, they, they don't have the kind of drive that the rest of these guys do. So being the first to line up for the drill is something I always uh, paid attention to. And I'm sure there's plenty of guys that we're uh, going to put on our Mount Rushmore's that would be at the head of their class in these uh, combine drills. Yeah, I got a couple guys. I got a couple of uh, there's there's one There's one guy that got knocked on, on mine for being slow, which is it's impossible to even think of him as slow. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I don't understand how the, it, it happened. I want to I want to get him on the stand and uh, made him, you know, tell his truths to the jury about uh, did he purposely botch his 40 times so that he would slip? <laughs> and, did, and did Bill Walsh? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm saying too much. Oh, you're saying I once you said 40 <laughs> time, I knew, and then you said that. Was. <laughs> so let's get to it. Uh, let's start with quarterbacks andrew and we'll go your list and then we'll go my list that sound good that sounds wonderful uh do you want to go top to bottom or bottom to top you know what let's start with the let's start with who we have at four okay i like that and we'll work that way okay. uh this one might come to a surprising shock i think to a lot of people but when i think of like the 90s a quarterback i think of is drew Bledsoe. Okay, interesting. Uh, 96? I think it was 96, Jeff, last? 93 for number oh, one. Oh, wow, really? 
Yeah, 93. Wow, he was around forever. 93, yeah. He, uh, you know, everybody talks about Brady turning around the Patriots. But Drew Bledsoe was the one that took him to their second Super Bowl and took him. I just remember the Patriots being God awful. Like, God, God awful. Like, if I'm a Dolphins fan, you're a Bills fan. I saw either one of those teams play the Patriots. I just write a W on the schedule. Yep. And I was like six, seven years old. Okay. <laughs> Before around this time, you know, and I already knew at a six, at a six, seven year old kid, that's a W. Yeah. And he turned him around. He, he brought so much excitement. One of my favorite games of all time is the 19, 1994 week one Patriots versus the dolphins. Him and Marino just had that absolute shootout of a game. And to have that back then was absolutely amazing. But if I'm thinking 90s quarterbacks, I'm putting Drew Bledsoe on there. I understand he made it to one Super Bowl. He didn't win it. He kind of fell off in a way. Then the Brady thing happened, and I think he kind of gets forgotten. That's what he's been known for. Uh kind of a bad analogy kind of like oj has been known for more as a you know murder <laughs> a, you know a murderer or alleged murderer and drew bledsoe has just been known as that guy that got injured and the whole tom brady thing started but he was so good in the 90s so good yeah he was the he was the stereotype back then yeah that's what guys were look looking like in the NFL. They were six foot four, whatever, two hundred and thirty pounds, can't run at all. <laughs> Rocket arm. The cannon of an arm. Uh, what was the he set I don't know if it's still around, but he set a an NFL record for attempts in a game. And that was crazy. He made power football Bill Parcells say, Yeah, whatever. You throw the ball. And that's, but Drew Bledsoe, I think he's just a forgotten gem sometimes. I, I'm here for it. He's not on my list. He's not? No. Nope. Right. So you're, you're going to probably get like mad at my list. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three, it's Troy Aikman. And Matt and I get into these arguments all the time about Troy Aikman. Once again, I am not a stat guy, but Troy Aikman was damn good. Like I would love to have seen him in an actual offense where it wasn't run first. And he was, he was good. He's a Super Bowl MVP, and he made and he made throws when he had to make throws, and he was so damn accurate too. Yeah, but. He's definitely number three when I think of 90s quarterbacks. He has to be one of the four faces on Mount Rushmore for quarterbacks in the 90s. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> the, the stats are horrible. The stats are horrible. And I hate when people do that. Oh, Jay Cutler had better than this. Yeah, but Troy had leadership. Jay Cutler had pure garbage personality. Troy was a fiery, fiery person. And the more I watch stuff on him, like a football life and hear people talk about him, it just sounds like he's a guy that you would want to be in the huddle with. If Matt's waking up in the ocean tomorrow and downloading this episode off of Wi-Fi, if he chooses to do so and he listens back and he gets to this point, if he makes it this far, he, he's going to feel personally attacked. <laughs> Oh, he's we we argue, <laughs> we argue so much about Troy Aikman and what Troy Aikman is. Me, him, Troy Aikman and Joe Namath, I think, are our two biggest quarterback arguments that we have. That must be why me and Matt are such good friends. <laughs> oh, we we have a lot of arguments with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll reserve more talking on Troy Aikman because, as I alluded to, you he does appear on mine. Number two. And my friend Frank and I argue this about a lot, but number two, Steve Young is number two. He thinks he, my friend Frank thinks he's number one, but Steve Young is number two in my mind when I think of 
90s quarterbacks. That's when he came in. Early 90s, he still kind of had to deal with that Montana stigma, and then he ends up winning a Super Bowl, but he's another guy that kind of changed changed the way, kind of brought the mobile quarterback cool, but could also stand in the pocket. Another guy that just dominated, dominated games, classic game, him, uh, 49ers, Bills, no punts. Uh, they're also, even though it's USFL and it's the eighties, him and Jim Kelly probably played the greatest game never even seen, but that's the eighties in USFL. Uh, but there was Steve young, never a dull moment with Steve young, left-handed quarterback, kind of got to show him some love there. I like that. He appears on your list. He is one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Uh secret about me, but that's not that big of a secret i was a big niners fan my first jersey was a jerry rice jersey i liked watching them they played my style of offense i liked the the they were playing the hybrid uh the the west coast strictly when bill walsh was there but as he started handing out the reins they started bringing in more uh modern concepts and more downfield passing and with steve getting out of the pocket he ended up becoming for such a short window like a three-year span where he was this lethal kind of like two-way quarterback he was like a dual threat very it was um not utilized maybe as best as like if steve young played now like we would be talking about steve young like people have talked about russell wilson oh yeah he was the the quarterback rating has i don't think anybody's even beaten that record that he set i don't think so that quarterback rating is like absolutely insane. He literally played a perfect game in a Super Bowl. I don't even I, I I should look it up, but it was like I don't know how many even he almost had more like Josh Allen did against the Patriots this year um in the playoffs, but he, like he almost had like more incomplete more touchdowns and incompletions. He had his best season with the rating was that ninety four season uh-huh. and his quarterback rating if I'm Yep. Quarterback rating was 112.8 for the season. That was, yeah, for the yeah. season. His lowest with San Francisco, pretty much as a starter, where he became a full st- time start. Well, his last year, but he was banged up, uh, is 92.3. Okay. <laughs> That's his career low for. A full-time star with San Francisco, obviously in Tampa Bay, he had a bad like one that was like sixty-five point five. But it, anybody would have. It's Tampa Bay in the in the eighties. Yep. Very solid number two, maybe a little just outside the box. Like, but maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Maybe I'm the one. Like, when people are listening to this and like, how did you not have Steve Young? Because uh, he will not appear on mine. That's why we do these things. Matt and I do this all the time. Like I said, we dis we disagree, but we love it so much when we disagree, especially when we do what ifs. We have two different paths, and that's what you got to do. Is you just got to talk back and forth. Uh, number one's a little, I think, a little homerish for me, but it, it's not who you think. It, it's my second favorite player of all time is uh is Brett Favre. Uh, Probably the funnest quarterback I've ever seen play the game. Just the enjoyment. But when I think of 90s, I think of Brett Favre as my number one quarterback. Hands down. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, the I remember sitting there watching him, and he was going to break Marino's record. He had those runs of, what, like three straight MVPs? He's Brett Favre. He is he is the nineties. I I don't under <laughs> he's the nineties. Another guy that was a castaway, but yeah, three straight MVP awards from ninety four to ninety six. Won a Super Bowl in ninety six as well. He's Brett Favre. He is the nineties. He brought the Packers back from absolute crap from the eighties and made them made everything more enjoyable and even made the Brett Favre watch enjoyable. Kind of like we're doing right now with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I have him on my list. 
I will not say where. All right. On my Mount Rushmore. Gotta accept Honda. Yes, Mount Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah. Uh, so now I started at the bottom, and here comes my homerism. Uh, Jim Kelly didn't join the Bills until 1986. So only played four years in the 80s. So majority of his career is in the 90s. And the 90s Bills with Jim Kelly were lethal. Now, I will admit it's a lot to do with the weapons and the offensive mind of uh, Todd Marchabroda. Um, all right, Todd? Ted. Ted. <laughs> I said it out loud. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> Ted Marchabroda, uh, they're, you know, were a machine. And they were just, you know, going up and down the field. They were the first, like, um, you know, greatest show on turf before the Rams at the end of the decade end up going that. So Jim Kelly's easy for me. Uh, the numbers are there for the most part, you know, not eye popping stats, but very solid. And I'm waiting for the pushback. There's no pushback. Okay. He almost made it. He almost made mine. Yeah. Uh, I thought about it, but it just, I wanted somebody that kind of stretched <clears throat> guys that kind of stretched a little bit. Um, that's what I was looking for there. Even though when I get to running backs, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, you're really good for that. But I, he should have been there when I was trying when I was going number four, like Jim Kelly almost was there. Like he blood. So narrowly edged them out. Yeah. It's just, I, just about, I think it's know, because like, of the longevity of the nineties, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, he retires in 96. So. And his 95 and I think 96 were not the greatest. No, no, it fell apart. A lot of my childhood memories of Jim Kelly is me yelling at the TV that the reason he keeps throwing interceptions is because he's colorblind, <laughs> which is true. It's a, it's a fact. He is colorblind, like, but he's, I might, I might have a little bit of bitterness because he didn't sign some autographs though, too, but he, he's a he, jerk. He's a jerk. He, Okay, thank you. It is the two. It, no, it is the accepted stance of the two point conversation. Everyone has agreed in unison. We took a vote, and we all agree that Jim Kelly is a jerk. We don't like him. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Josh okay. Allen more than makes up for it, though. That's all I keep saying. He's the anti Jim Kelly. Josh Allen's like. Have you ever? To me, Josh Allen is. He's a like, golden retriever. Have you ever seen uh, "Forgetting Sarah Marshall"? Yes. Where they're where they're in the ocean, and he's—I forgot what that guy's name is—but the the ex boyfriend meets the old boyfriend, mm-hmm. and he's like talking to him, and he's like, "Damn it, I just want to hate you, but it's just—it's so hard." That's how I feel about Josh Allen. Like, I just want to hate him, and I'll never—I won't even say it now. How I really, what I really look for for Josh Allen, but I—I just—it's just so hard. Like, I gotta like think about him, like killing puppies or something for me to hate no him. no 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 which, sir. which i know never. he never would never. like i actually look out for the guy i i really do i'm not gonna lie like every time he takes off running i go come on don't don't hit those knees oh <laughs> somebody don't hit those knees and i always and i do yell at the tv and go come on josh you can't you can't keep on running you, i love gonna, the love you're gonna get the knees you're gonna get the knees so there's secret love there but it's like one of those things that he's just He's so good, and I'm just so bitter that you guys have that toy, and I want that toy, yep. but I don't have it. So there's my real feelings. I really don't <laughs> have a problem with Josh Allen. I just hate the fact that he is good. Well, I hated the fact that I had to put this name on my list. We have we a match. Got- we have a match at three. I have Troy Aikman at three. How could you not? He's, he's a face. He's one of the faces of the '90s. Three Super Bowl rings in the '90s. What? What are you going to talk about? You know, like no one else had three Super Bowl rings in the '90s. Only mm-hmm. one guy did. <laughs> and it's also not as much as I like love. Like we play hypothetical and see him play in a different offense, but that's not the case. Like he played with an elite wide receiver. He played with an elite running back. He played with an elite offensive line. He played with an elite defense. Like all those things are true, but that's not his fault. He he so, never became a reason. We were just did this last week in our tiering of quarterbacks. If I would have tiered 
Troy Aikman in the 90s, he never would have been tiered any season lower than a two with moments of being a tier one, meaning that he is the quarterback that takes over a game at times and is the whole reason that they end up winning that game. But a lot of the times he just plays good enough that he's not a problem. He contributes and makes enough plays during the game that he's a reason why you had success. He, and he's never the reason that you lose. Like you would never look at the, that side of the ball and go, well, what happened to the offense? Well, Troy forgot how to football. <laughs> he just, I just listened to Michael Irvin talk about it one time, and he goes, and he talks about, you know, Michael Irvin's this big personality, so many big personalities. It's not an elite, but just big personalities, too. And Michael Irvin's like, we got to start throwing the ball. We got to do this and the offensive line and, Emmett's like, no, no, we're gonna run the we're gonna run the ball. We're gonna do this. And they're arguing. And he said, the minute Troy stepped in the huddle, it all got silent. Yep. And those are the stories I like to hear about players. <clears throat> yeah, I think Troy had that um kind of like quiet command too. Mm-hmm. So uh number two on Mount Rushmore here is Brett Favre. And uh-huh. the biggest the biggest reason is is because once he took center stage in Green Bay, there was a revolution in football that we all kind of had forgotten that we wanted, which was Green Bay should be good at football. They shouldn't yeah. be laughing stocks. You, that's all they have. It's green. It's just Green Bay. It's just the Packers. That's it's all those people have, man. Like I feel like they need their football teams to be competitive, to be fun. And that's what Brett Favre epitomized being competitive and having fun. Nothing was better in the nineties of watching Brett Favre pull off silly plays and just having the best time of his life doing it. Running down the field, to tackle a guy, his own guy in the end zone because, because <laughs> he's just, he, he's Brett Favre. Yeah, that's oh, Josh right. Allen is the closest to Brett Favre that we've had since Brett Favre, I think. Maybe if not as much of an edge, you know, yeah. more softer, a little softer edge there. I think Mahomes is a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I'm I saying just like attitude wise and like. Oh, yeah, because I'm skill wise and doing stupid, doing stuff that don't make sense. Sometimes I got to give it to Mahomes. And I think <laughs> that is why Andy Reid went after him. Yeah, I there's uh, there's times where I often think so where Mahomes does the no look passes or he tries to do those little shuffle passes and everything else. But Josh Allen does always the, the enthusiasm. I can give you Josh Allen. He never looks angry like Brett Favre never looked angry to me on the field. No, no. <clears throat> frustrated, but yeah, well, we all get frustrated. Mm hmm. Uh, number one is probably a little bit of a shock. He was drafted in the 83 draft. Uh, so he played seven years in the eighties, but, uh, he also played the entire nineties and that's when he won his super bowls. John Elway is one of the most gifted quarterbacks I can ever think of as far as physical, like physical gifts athletic ability. Um, and I know when they won those Super Bowls, he wasn't the reason necessarily as much as it was Terrell Davis and you know Shanahan being a great coach. Um it but it seemed like all the nineties like he kept them around and much better than they should have been because historically they're not a well run franchise and I, I think those moments with John Elway, I know it's like his career started off crazy, like out of the gates. Here comes this dude and he's unreal, <laughs> taking on the, the AFC by storm. And then he trailed off and then it was taken over by guys we already mentioned. But the end of the 90s was his time. That's when yeah. John Elway became the face of the league again. Yeah, I could. I, I thought of Elway also. I, I did. I think of Elway, like what you mentioned, the seven years. I think of Elway and Marino more as 80s quarterbacks. And here's, 
have you ever looked at John Elway's stats? I have. They are god awful too. <laughs> For somebody that we talk about, because uh, I took him in retro fantasy, and I was like, oh, we shouldn't do too bad, and it got me nine points in a week, and I was like, this guy, I hate you, John Elway. Uh, I mean, he's not got his highest TD passes of all time is 27. And that came in 1997. Yeah. But I can understand with the two Super Bowls, why you would not want to put him on this list. He has, he has a, he has an argument. I'm cool with anybody. As long as you can give me a legit argument for them to be on your Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And Kelly even though I don't have Kelly, I don't have Elway. Those are definitely legit '90s quarterbacks that could be on anybody's Mount Rushmore. When I was looking at the quarterbacks, there was probably like seriously around like seven guys I felt real confident in putting on the top four of the '90s and being like, "Yeah, you can you can make a cause for this. Like it makes sense. Like obviously Marino, you know what I mean? The guy kept throwing yeah. touchdowns." <laughs> <laughs> it didn't stop just because he got to the nineties. Guy was pretty good for a long time. So, one guy I did think of and it might sound crazy was Mark Brunel for some reason. Uh, uh, as a Bills fan, I I can recognize yeah. that and go, oh yeah, <laughs> he whooped my team's butt a couple of times. That was like the one guy, and then I was like, ah. that I thought about the other guys, and I was like, no, oh, he's the Lions quarterback coach now. All right, I didn't know that. But I, I thought of him. Yeah. I thought of Mr. Brunel. And then I was like, no, nah, he, once again, overall body that kind of shied me away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we can move on to running backs. Who do you have as your number four? Probably. This guy's probably one of the most complete backs I've ever seen. Uh, had a stare at his clock every single damn weekend as I'm eating breakfast at my dad's house. Thurman Thomas. I can't, uh, he's, he's in that Drew Bledsoe category where, yeah, his stats didn't extend, but at one point you could say in complete back overall, he was the best running back in the NFL. And this is the time with Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, or well, Barry Sanders and then Emmett Smith coming up as well. Thurman was the man. He also made, I think he was 100 or 99 in top 100 players that changed the game just because of what he could, he could do and do so well. Ah. Uh, and I just feel like he's got to be on this list. I know as he gets into like 97, he starts to kind of peter out. But the seasons he had just running the ball, catching the ball, plus two, he torched my Dolphins, damn Tom Malavadati. Uh, but he, <laughs> <laughs> he, torched, he torched my Dolphins and everything else. And he was just, he was spectacular. He was a sight to see. And when I think of 90s running backs, even though he kind of peters out in a way, I think of Thurman Thomas. He is on my list. I knew, well, I knew that was coming. <laughs> he number his, his jersey is over there, but at the angle of the uh, laptop, you can't see it. Yeah, see so you, your 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 Bills collection kind of like gives me like like the PTSD a little bit because of the whole. My father was a Giants Bills fan, so he had more Bills stuff on the wall than pictures of me and my of my brother and I. Yeah, so there was a clock, and it was Thurman Thomas, and I think it was he got it around when he won the MVP, and so it said MVP on it, and there was a clock, and it just eat cereal ticket, and next to it was some picture of Bruce on a motorcycle from I think like M and T Bank or something. So, like, I'm like, oh, too much Bill stuff. But number three, I have Marshall Falk. Interesting. Which might shock some people, I think. Because he comes in. 
he came in in a 94. Okay. Okay. But when did he really start having good years? 94. Was it right away out of the gate? <laughs> yeah. Ran for 1,200 yards his rookie season. That's pretty good. 1,200 yards. Uh, let's see. 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns. He had 52 receptions for 522 yards. Next year, he only ran for 1,000. The year that the year before they traded him, he ran for 1,300 yards. I mean, he had some. It just goes to show you how weird Indianapolis was until Bill Polian took over. That you could not utilize a Marshall Falk to his full ability until later on. But I, I think of him as a great '90s one because he was just he was young, he was a threat, and people talk about him, but he was Thurman Thomas was Marshall Falk before Marshall Falk but I got Marshall Falk up a little bit higher because he, he this may sound messed up he won a Super Bowl in the 90s yeah. uh, <laughs> but he did win it he in the 90s he didn't forget lose his helmet before a game that was Harry Connick Jr. that was Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, but even even 98, it was one of those things like, why did you trade him? Because he had 1,300 yards and he had 900 yards re- receiving with on 80, on 86 receptions. So you could see where he was coming from, even from his his rookie year. It yeah. just They just didn't know how to use him, <laughs> I would have to say, until later on. But Marshall Falk is definitely number four. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the helmet thing because my – Son Jacoby watched the Four Falls of Buffalo, and he thinks Kenneth Davis is absolutely hilarious with his conspiracy theory about the helicopter shifting, <laughs> shifting the winds so the ball didn't go through. I still love my boy. Huh? I I still love Kenneth Davis. Oh yeah, he was like the one of the first things, like everything with the Bills, because we lived in Western New York, and you kind of had to watch him either way. You know, was that the first time I saw running backs actually platoon in and outwards with the Bills? But number two, Emmett Smith. <laughs> he, I think that's where it needs to go. I think just the name says enough right there in Emmett Smith. He was probably one of the most exciting backs to watch. Very. Very debatable number one, but to transition into my number one, it's Barry Sanders, the yeah, greatest yeah. running back I ever saw. Guy was most electrifying running back ever. Uh, you could say what you want about him. He didn't ca- get a lot of catches. They didn't use him at the goal line. But the great thing about Barry Sanders was is he made Thanksgiving Lions football bearable to watch which you cannot say now because you would sit there and you'd watch it and he hit the line and it'd be like, oh, tackle, two yards. And it's like one of those things like on The Simpsons where all the people are fighting and you're like, but that guy's going to do something and I don't want to miss it. <laughs> and all of a sudden you would be like, okay, I'm just going to go to the bat. I, I can't wait for a commercial. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Next thing you know, you're like, Barry Sanders just took off 80 yards down the field and juked out like all the players on the team and everything else. And right there is why I got him at number one. Fantastic number one. Uh, I'll just say right now, that's where we have our match. Gary Sanders both at number one. And the reason is everything why you look up his YouTube videos to this day. Because you still want to see him put dudes on their butts. Mm -hmm. Put put guys on roller skates. Because it happened constantly, multiple times per game. And he was untackable. It's it's that great line um, from forget what coach was going up against him, but it was in college, and oh, they said, "Do not hurt Thurman Thomas." And they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, because yeah, you don't want this guy to come in after him." <laughs> it was uh, Barry Switzer, yep. Oklahoma. Yeah. Like ridiculous talent those two have. Uh, Thurman, I'm working backwards now just because uh, we had a match in one. Thurman Thomas is number two for me for all those reasons that you said, which is he's the trendsetter. He is the modern-day running back ahead of his time in the early 90s of being the all-purpose back. 
and being able to make something out of nothing, being a part of the offense and just, you know, the, the heart, he really was the heart of that offense. You know, oh, yeah. it, it, you know, Jim gets the leadership thing and, you know, Andre is one of the toughest wide receivers I've ever watched play the game. Uh, but, you know, Thurman Thomas was the reason that team was able to be as dominant on offense. You cannot run that offense nearly as well as you do without Thurman Thomas. Uh, number three is Emmett for me. And sure. this may be me being biased because him destroying my team. But <laughs> at the same time, I like to try and think like, if I were to take Emma Smith out of that Hall of Fame offensive line and put him, let's say, in Barry Sanders' offense, does Emmett Smith still have the career that he has? And based on his running style, he still has a very good career, probably Hall of Fame career, but I don't think he's winning Super Bowls, and I, and I, I don't think he's the all-time rushing leader. It's just he re, he needed those lanes to get going because that's just the way he ran. He was a more downhill physical runner, and he kind of like relished in it. I, I he was he's a lot like like Derrick Henry's a lot like Emma Smith in the way that as the game goes on, he just keeps getting tougher and tougher to tackle. So when you're at your weakest, he's at his strongest. Yeah. Those thighs are ridiculous. <laughs> Emmett's, Emmett's thighs are absurd. Trying to tackle those things and put you in a coma. Separated shoulder game against oh, the Giants. Yeah. Could you imagine being a running back? I mean, I, you see linebackers do it, and I can understand that. You could, you could kind of shed away from approaching the line so much and doing stuff like that, but if you're a running back, you're getting hit in the shoulders, and he oh, did yeah. it. Separated shoulder, tough, tough as will be. I uh, think the running backs were the easiest one. If you ask me, here's where I did think a little outside the box, and okay. I went with Eddie George. I went with Eddie George because Eddie George epitomized a lot of what I thought was a good, solid running back. I was thinking of like because he was drafted in '97. Eddie George? No. Yeah, I think. Uh, wait. Uh, Eddie George was ninety six. Okay. Yeah. When he took when he took the stage, it was he had a big name coming out of college. Like everybody knew who Eddie George was. Huge name recognition, and he seemed to live up to it. And he became a big part of that Titans resurgence at the end of the decade. Huge part of that offense. So. I was thinking Marshall Falk too, though. Marshall, you know, I was like, I don't even know like how I got to like Eddie George over Marshall Falk, but I just did. <laughs> I love Eddie George, so I can't do anything about it. And I'm a Michigan guy, and I'm still putting an Ohio State running back on this. I know Mount Rushmore. When I looked at what year it was, uh, Tim Biaka Batuka <laughs> that draft also. Again, first, I, first team all name. Here's a guy that I, you know what, I probably should have just put him in there. <sighs> But I need to give him some recognition. Is Ricky Waters? Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that was kind of like one of my wild card guys, kind of like Mark Brunel. I don't know why, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's NFL prime time. Like that's the name Ricky Waters is like the reason. Like I know that it pops in my head every time is because Boomer Ricky running Waters. <laughs> I don't know if that was his real nickname. But that's what Boomer called him, so that's what I called him. It is your nickname. Once Boomer calls you by something. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's why I always still remember Drew Bledsoe because when they did the Boomer nickname school, mm-hmm. the guy was like, "Give Drew Bledsoe a nickname," and he was like, "Drew bled so much he needed a transfusion," and they were like, "No, that doesn't work." That doesn't. Work. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, we're on to wide receivers now. All right, number four, and this is kind of a what if also in this as well because his career got cut short number four is sterling sharp sterling sharp was absolutely amazing in the 90s i've never seen a guy get 100 catches ever in in my life until he came along 
probably help Brett Favre a lot because Brett Favre did throw some a lot of wacky balls, but Sterling Sharp was so, so good. I mean, at one point he probably could have, I'm not saying he was better, but you could have made the argument that he was maybe a little, maybe just underneath Jerry Rice or maybe even just as good as Jerry Rice from like a, what 1990 all the way until he had to retire in 94 yeah and all he's known as now to most people that didn't watch him is he's just either they don't know about him at all or he's just shannon sharp's older brother (laughs) but when i when i was thinking 90s i was thinking shan or sterling sharp see i almost messed that up i was thinking sterling sharp all the way sure he's my guy at number four Number three, I'm pretty sure he's on your list too. Uh, like you said, just the toughest, grittiest wide receiver ever. Ever. I'm gonna say something weird. Probably my favorite Buffalo Bill of all time. You're not wrong. Should be everybody's. Super nice guy. The nicest superstar on that Bills team. Um, I think that kind of helped him a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't just play on the field, but he's number three. I mean. That was the other great thing. A guy that made sure that kids got their autograph signed. It's going to help you. I feel maybe give you a little bit of a push over most people, but Andre Reed, just that over the middle, it's not as dirty as it used to be like how it used to be now with the rules, but that man just, just get trashed yeah. on, on those crossing routes and slants, just destroyed and still get back up and play. Uh, Number two, the playmaker, Michael Irvin. I He was good no matter with probably the crappiest number twos known to man and like Elvin Harper and what other, other crap you put on that side. And I know a lot of the times if you got two, you know, one really good wide receiver and another like number two, pretty much Michael Irvin made – Elvin Harper looked like a number one receiver when he didn't need to. And come on, it's the playmaker. It's Michael Irvin. I got to put him at number two. Yeah. Yeah. Well deserving. And number one, I'm pretty sure we both agree on this one is I, this one, I will argue anybody if they don't put Jerry Rice at number one, if you're doing a ranking or even if he's not on your Mount Rushmore of nineties wide receivers, but if, if you don't have Jerry Rice on there, I think you just say Jerry Rice and people just know, oh, yeah, that's yeah. the guy. Yep. That is, yeah, we have a match there. We have a match with Michael Irvin. We have a match with Andre Reed. And then the only spot that we differ is I put Tim Brown at number I, four. I had Tim Brown, but I scratched him off for Sterling Sharp okay. because. Tim, I feel so bad for Tim Brown. He played for so many bad Raiders teams, yet he was still so good. Yeah. Now, my mom was a uh, Bills fan first, but she was always a uh, Raiders fan because of, um, was it LaMonica that used to be a Bill? Yes. Yeah. So when yeah. LaMonica was traded, she this, she didn't jump ship, but she still loved LaMonica. And then after even after he like retired, she stayed like, uh, like a Raiders fan, Raiders supporter. I guess it's probably the way she would put it. Raiders supporter. Um, yeah, Tim Brown, easy. Um, a, another tough wide receiver. I a lot of tough sideline catches where you're just getting absolutely crushed on the sideline, going up for passes. Terrible passes from Raiders quarterbacks, putting his body on the line. Hey, straight, um, baby. Andre Reed obviously is a. He brought a lot of modern, what we now consider part of modern day offense, um, into commonplace crossing patterns. You know those short, shallow yards after catch plays. You know just, just as much as Jerry Rice in the West Coast offense is doing that, you know, Andre Reed was doing that with the Bills in the nineties. A lot of yards after catch, getting guys in the space, and starting to utilize your wide receivers in different ways instead of back of the day, which was just. 
uh, run to a spot and I'm going to throw it up high and you're going to, you're going to catch it. Okay. Like when I think of like the seventies Steelers and I think of their success, a lot of their plays are just like, I don't know, dude, just, just go down there and I'm going to chuck it. Okay. Oh, it was Terry Bradshaw, the original yeah, well, U12. Exactly. Exactly. He, well, I mean, he was a winner, so they just made stuff happen. <laughs> um, I, I wish I could find his quote. Something when he talks about you could you you can lose with me, but it'll be a hard of something about being a hell of a lot harder to lose without or to win without me. <laughs> but I can't remember what the Terry Terry Bradshaw quote was, and I cannot yes. find it anywhere. Uh, so then Michael Irvin, Jerry Rice. Uh, obviously, you don't get a nickname from being the playmaker for nothing. He is the reason that Troy Aikman ends up becoming a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Without oh, yeah. that kind of a difference maker, wide receiver, you just it, it doesn't work. And then uh, I almost had them flipped, Andrew, um, at having Michael Irvin one and Jerry Rice two. Not to say that career wise, Jerry Rice's career, obviously, I would he's my goat. But in for the nineties, I mean, Michael Irvin's career was all of the nineties, where a lot of Jerry's career was in the eighties, especially the success. Like he can stay consistent up until probably around like 96, 97, I want to say, for the Niners. The like the the Jeff Garcia was he there with Jeff Garcia? He probably yeah. was, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah he so very tough decision there, but yes, I had to go with the right decision, which is always Jerry Rice. Uh we got coaches left to do. Yes. And this is where I'm gonna <laughs> Maybe copy some of yours. I did my four, but I don't feel strong about them. I feel pretty strong about mine. I feel pretty, pretty, pretty strong. Uh, I only have two Super Bowl winners, though, on this whole entire list. Because uh, at number four, I got Marty Schottenheimer. See, I was, that was the first name that I was wondering about. I, I know he's never won a Super Bowl. And a lot of people bag on him. And you could even say he had a lot of success in the 80s, but he had a lot of success in the 90s as well. Uh, with those Chiefs teams so close, but yet so far away. Uh, he was always there. I mean, he wasn't like the greatest coach of, of all time, obviously, but he, you could make him maybe the greatest coach never to win a Super Bowl in a way or never to play in a Super Bowl, definitely in that aspect, but he's always in there. He's always in the hunt to get there. His team is always a contender, and they were never out. Nobody ever, other than that stupid stint that he had with one year in Washington, I've never heard anybody say that a Marty Schottenheimer team didn't have a chance to go to the Super Bowl when he was their coach. I don't have him on my list, but because he uh, has ties to the Bills, um, I love him. (laughs) And I think he has the longest name ever on a jersey, too. That's fantastic. I I think there's like some weird trivia in there. And with it still being easy to like pronounce, like if you put, you know, Tim Biakabatuka on there, you know, Biakabatuka looks like crazy to say, but. Schottenheimer, like, no, I could get there. Like, I can read that pretty easy and go, yep, that says Schottenheimer. And he's also in an Eminem song. So he's <laughs> pop culture crossover right there. Uh, and that's the only, it's like my favorite one just because he rhymes. <laughs> he rhymes Marty Schottenheimer in there. So, <laughs> uh, number three, I got Mike Holmgren. Kind of like the same reasons why you got like Brett Favre and stuff like that is he made football in Green Bay good again. It made people want to go to Green Bay. Yes, he offered Reggie White, <laughs> you know, making him the like highest paid player in the NFL. But still, he had to make the phone call and play up to Reggie White and saying, Reggie, this is God. We want you to go to Green Bay. I want you to go to Green Bay and play. And he was just good there the whole entire time. He made them relevant once again. And it in the 90s, while he was there, they were never out. They were always in that hunt. They ended up finally winning that Super Bowl in 96. They lost to the Broncos in 97, 
and the AFC finally broke the streak. But I had to put him in there for 90 side coaches. He is also the Bill Walsh tree? Yes. Yep. I think like, oh, no, that's Paul Brown. (laughs) Like, I think everybody's part of the Paul Brown tree. But uh, number two, got to give him his props, Marv. Got to call Marv Levy at number two. They were there four straight times. They lost four straight times. But as this is me removing all my hatred for the Bills, which I can do every once in a while and put on my NFL history hat and everything else. They made it. Four straight times. They lost. Uh, Probably, so that makes them the best AFC team in like the early 90s. Later on, it was a little switch of power going on, but it's Marv. Great players coach. Yeah. Uh, the best thing you know. about Marv, too, about like, was that he, he won the right way. Like, he was, it wasn't just that he was coaching men. He was, he was like trying to make them better men, just like instead of being like football players, yeah. like actually like tried to make them better players off the field. It didn't work for all of them. <laughs> but I do wholeheartedly believe that he is he's 100% genuine and a, a fantastic human being who's still with us uh 90 is he 99 now or something like that something crazy I, no idea he's <laughs> super old I just uh, know when they hired him as a general manager I started laughing because he was like he needs something back then he is 96 years old 96 years young 96 okay yeah well, with, without him I don't get Fred Jackson so I'm okay with it yeah, I love it because he's the only guy on like 2010, the NFL top 100 players from like 2010, like all time. Mm-hmm. The NFL Network did it, and he actually did the thing for uh, Sid Luckman. So he was at that time, he was a camp counselor, and Sid Luckman's son was at the count was at that camp. Okay. And this was like in the four, in the 40s because that's what Sick Luckman was pretty much playing. So, yeah, he's been around forever, but forever. He, he's Marv Levy. I got one knock on him, but it's kind of like a little petty one. But once again, who was the last team that he was a coach for before the Bills? I firmly City. believe, well, no, it was that, well, it was Kansas City, but it was also the Chicago Blitz. And of the USFL, and I firmly believe the USFL never would have collapsed. We would not have the '90s Buffalo Bills. Oh, have you ever looked at how many players from (laughs) players, coaches, Ken Hall, yeah, Ken Hall, Jim Kelly, and everything else? There's like so many USFL players on that team. That's crazy. Uh, Number one, how about them Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson? He probably could have won four Super Bowls if Jerry Jones would have uh, not been so egotistical and needed to take credit for trades and stuff. But Jimmy's number one took that. First of all, he had a step in the shoes of an absolute legend, rebuild a team, and then he goes on to win Super Bowls. I don't think of too many people that have done that where you step into a head coaching legend shoes yeah, and have not immediate success, but have very good success and very good success drafting the way that he did. Even though he almost did trade away Michael Irvin instead of Herschel Walker, but <laughs> they would have made it work. <laughs> But he is my he is my number one coach of the nineties is Jimmy Johnson. Uh he is on my list, but not number one. So I could not think of a fourth at all. I guess it should have been Holmgren. Um but it's I, not. I'll tell you I was thinking Shanahan, but I wasn't quite sure. I was going to say George Seifert, but I have this ungodly bias against George Seifert that he just won 
because of Walsh's players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what Walsh, the trades and stuff, and then that 94 team was more bought than built. I felt. Well, and the, and the system was already established. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, where I see for didn't kind of get, he put came into my mind, but I wasn't going to put him on the list. Oh, well, this guy definitely bleeds over from the 80s into the 90s. I put Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs was still very good in the early 90s. Those Redskins teams, uh, yes, I'm allowed to say that because that's what they were called back then. They were dominant. They were very consistent. Uh, it's a crazy division, but the fact of you know Joe Gibbs was able to keep his win percentage up all the way into the 90s like he had. Um, Hall of Fame coach, obviously, just a real innovator, too. The only court, I think he's still the only, yeah, he is the only coach to win Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. Well, yeah. And the, oh. the, the 91 Washington team is, so will good. go down as one of the best ever. So <laughs> it's a damn good team. And they yeah. saved me from doing push ups in gym class. Oh, there you go. You make it better, something. <laughs> they will always stay in my heart because of that. The uh, gym. Gym teacher made a bet. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the Bills, and a lot of kids were like, Yeah, the Bills are going to win. And I was like, oh, I'll pick Washington. And I was never so happy to see the Bills lose the Super Bowl <laughs> on that one. Yeah, and get destroyed. They got destroyed. Yeah. Uh, number three, I do have Shanahan here. Uh, what he was able to do with that late 90s run with the Broncos is 100, 100% about understanding how to make players um, fit your system and how you get them from different places. Some guys are undrafted. Some guys are late-round picks. Some guys are traded for. Some guys are veterans. Like they, Once you got to the, the late 90s, the 97 seasons in particular, those players, you know, you're talking about you know Rod Smith. You're talking about... Um, McCaffrey, you're talking about Sharp. You're talking about like all these guys came from so many different places yeah. and they put it all together in literally like a three year span and like became a, a force. Like I remember they took over video games. Like they were the John Elway became this face of the league. He was on, you know, covers of video games again. And Terrell Davis is running for 2,000 yards, and it's because of Shanahan. What His offensive genius is what propelled them into the, the limelight. I believe the Shanahans could take me and turn me into a 1,000-yard rusher. <laughs> I, I believe they could take anybody and turn them into a 1,000-yard rusher. If you look at all their running backs, even with, the, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, he took the absolute biggest no-name guys. Like, I think one was Vaughn Hepperon and Mike Anderson and was like, hey, go. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you become a 1,000-yard rusher. Yeah. So for TD to run for 2,000 yards, it's like, yeah, he was he was better than those other guys. But he, I don't think he had a season without a 1,000-yard rusher. But I may yeah. not be certain, but I just remember them always having a 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, here is where I'll put uh, Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells, because of him going to the different teams and still continuing to win, just showed uh, his system of coaching while very volatile and very confrontational and very uh, stubborn in a lot of ways. It worked, right? And you don't get to do all that and piss so many people off along the way if it doesn't. And so he was able to carry that from team to team. Uh, just, for, I, I just realized this now he had like a vendetta against my bills. For some reason, it's like, bro, you already kicked our butts. Like you, you owned us. It's all right. Like why, why are you chasing us down in the division now? Um, but yeah, Bill Parcells obviously could be all eighties. He could yeah. be Mount Rushmore of the eighties. He can be, he's on the Mount Rushmore of the nineties for me. And it's longevity. It was because he came into the nineties already being a phenomenal coach. And then, yeah, it moved on to the jets and the dolphins and whatnot and tried to uh, get them championships. So it wasn't able to, and then Jimmy Johnson's won. It's, it's kind of boring actually at this point talking about it. Cause he was 
maybe one of the the biggest faces of of NFL head coaching. Like you know, what I mean, not nobody had quite the personality and like quite the exposure. Like now we kind of get used to it. You know, we're used to seeing like Sean McVay and like seeing his wife or fiance or whatever and like things like that. Like Jimmy Johnson became like a superstar head coach, which was kind of like a unique thing because he like bought into it too. Yeah, the hair, the hair. And Bill Parcells was volatile, but Stephen Baker and Otis Anderson call him every year on his birthday. Well, that's nice. They, 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 he told me that, and I was like, "That is so awesome!" I felt like, "Oh, can I have his number?" I'm the biggest Bill Parcells fanboy. You, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love him. But I could see. I, I thought about Parcells, but like you said, you could put him on the '80s, and I was thinking more '80s, and I wanted to sure. give a little bit more flavor to the other guys on here as well. Yeah, the coaches I felt the shakiest about. I was like, I don't know. I just knew I had to have Shanahan on there. Because I fanboyed big time uh, over that oh. offense. <laughs> I just wanted to put Marty on there. I felt like Marty just needed. He some earned love. it. He definitely earned it with those Chiefs team. Very competitive. Uh, so that's it. That is the end of our Mount Rushmore's great listing with you. Ranking of these guys. A uh, little trip back into our uh, childhood is always good for me. Feels good in the soul. It's like it's like it's like either drinking a, a nice bourbon or uh, having a nice hot cocoa. Either way, it's all warm in the inside. Know what I mean? So that is it. Uh, we will continue the week of Nomad. That's right. The teacher is uh, called in uh, for a substitute. So you will get a new host every day, which is fun. And um, But keep coming back because uh, we're a tight crew. And uh, just because it's the offseason, we're not letting up. Plenty of great things to talk about. And, um, you know, you know where to find us. We're on your favorite streaming app for your podcast. We are at the BICBP-radio.com network page. And we're not going anywhere. So uh, thanks for listening again. And uh, as always, Andrew, what do we say? Two point conversation is good. Thank you.